Hey everyone, welcome to the Darkcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Miley. It's the end of the year, and I am so happy to be bringing you our Games of 2018 discussion. Beyond the holidays, this is why this is my favorite time of year. In this episode, I'm talking with four writers about four of the best games of 2018. In section one, I spoke with Ed Bobinchek about Monster Hunter Generations Ultimate. In section two, I talked to David Silbert about Assassin's Creed Odyssey. And in section three, I spoke with John Kay about Don't Starve Hamlet. Finally, in section four, I talked to Gregory Wright about God of War 4. In each of the sections, we also talk about that writer's favorite game released before 2018 that they only just now got a chance to play. You can find the timestamps for each section as well as more information about the things that we discuss in the show notes to this episode, which you can find on darkstation.com. There you can also find the Darkcast interview series as well as video game reviews, previews, and features. Be sure to stay tuned to the website as we have our writers' top five lists for 2018 going up throughout the month of December. If you want to find out more about the show, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter at darkstation underscore com. Find us on Facebook and email us at podcast at darkstation.com. As always, thank you so much for listening. Now on with the show. Welcome back to the Darkcast, everybody. I'm Jonathan Miley. Joining me today is Ed Bobinchek. Is that, is yes. that how your name's? All right, fantastic. It's exactly the way it's spelled. Fantastic. <laughs> how are you doing, Ed? Doing all right. You took the words out of my mouth with that too. That's how I tell everyone. <laughs> We're here to talk about our some of our favorite games of the year because, crazily enough, 2018 is almost over, and I'm not sure where it went. Um, but uh, but it's gone, so it's time to it's time to do what we do at the end of the year and make lists of things because that's fun. Uh, so, what are we talking about today, Ed? Uh, we're going to talk about probably actually going to be my game of the year, uh, Monster Hunter. Yeah, Monster Hunter Generations Ultimate. Okay. Now I feel like a lot of people hear you say Monster Hunter and assume you're going to finish that phrase with the word world. Because uh, that was a pretty popular game earlier this year. Uh, did you play World? I did. I, I picked it up at launch, special edition. I got my Nirjigante statue in my man cave, um, <laughs> right next to my the pop figure I picked up when I got it. And I played a good amount of it, uh, but one of the reasons why I'm giving Generations Ultimate the nod over World for me, is both like the content and just the end, the end game, uh, just how expansive it is. Because mm. I, I enjoyed World. I thought the story is great. Um, I've been playing since Three Ultimate. I played every game since, and uh, so I'm not as veteran as the originals. But I've, I've logged in a good 
few thousand hours into all the titles. And I, I played World, and I think it's a great way to move the franchise forward and keep it keep it both in the roots of Monster Hunter and make it more accessible to players. But Generations Ultimate, to me, was the better game because I I should play I will lie, won't lie, I played it last year and Japanese Monster Hunter Double X. When I got my Switch, my friend gave me uh, his Japanese physical copy, and I logged a good few hundred hours into that, despite not knowing any Japanese. Wow. That's impressive. Google Translate is a heck of a uh, tool. <laughs> Plus, if you play the other games, it's easy enough to figure out a lot of the things. And one of the nice things about Monster Hunter is that it is a lot of... There's a lot of nonverbal things in there or enough distinctions that you can tell things apart. Okay. Very cool. So what, um, for people that don't know a lot about Monster Hunter, uh, what is Monster Hunter Generations Ultimate? So it's a, uh, it's the last game in the old style of Monster Hunter, and it's basically, uh, it's a boss rush kind of game. So uh, you take on a quest for hunting any number of monsters. Well, there's a few number of monsters, but so many monsters, a certain monster, or a few of them, or this game, unlike World, will have a lot of the smaller quests, so you might have to collect, you know, 10 unique mushrooms, or you need to kill 30 Kanchu. Um, and it's, you go into the, uh, the map, and there's little sections, and you either you solve the, the task, and then you get a bunch of items, and you use those items to build new weapons and armor, which allow you to then hunt and take on harder quests, and so on and so forth. So you build yourself up by taking on challenge after challenge and using those rewards and funneling it in towards your strength. Hmm. So how? So I, I don't know a lot about Monster Hunter. Um, it's intimidated the crap out of me. I've never even tried to play um, any of them. Uh, how how does all of that differ from World? Um, so one thing World did was it opened up the full map. So when you go into the quest, you have access to, from every every access with no loading points. Um, what World does, or that's World kind of opened up the whole thing and made it more of a living environment. Um, so you're a little one piece of this full ecosystem. The old school of Monster Hunter was more of like arena battles. So each little area is separate, and monsters will go from area to area, um, and that's how you, you follow them, you hunt them down, and you'd hunt them and fight them in this one particular area. So it's more, you know, and the regions change, the battlegrounds change, there's elevations, you've got, you know, some of them have featured water, which a lot of the fans don't like, I was indifferent on, but in this one there's none. But it's just, it's just more of like a, you know, one-on-one battle you know, inside of an arena versus world, which is more of you entering this ecosystem and clearing intruders or hunting down things and almost being the intruder into this, as they call it, a world. Okay. Gotcha. Whereas um, the older style of Monster Hunter, it's more just level-based in a way like any other game as, as opposed to being a sandbox or open world. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Gotcha. Okay. 
Yeah, when, whenever I hear people talk about having to log, like, hundreds of hours into a game before you, like, start to get good at it, then I'm just like, I, no, I, I can't. I, mm-mm. <laughs> See, I, I, have, I, have a, I have a semi-seizure. and just... <laughs> I'll actually disagree with that. I don't think you need to log hundreds of hours to be good. It's It really is a mind over matter thing because I've I've played three Ultimate hundreds of hours. I've played four Ultimate hundreds of hours. I've played the first generation's hundreds of hours and I've played Double X hundreds of hours. Heck, I've played this game before and I still go into challenges. I'll fail... I'll be intimidated, and I'll kind of avoid it. I'll, I'll do a bunch of older quests that I avoided for a while. You know, I'm overpowered on. It's it's more of a mind over matter, because once you realize that you can do it, that's really the biggest hurdle to get over. It's all that mental aspect. you got to go in, and you can't be afraid. you got to just, just go in there and try it, because you're not going to get better until you try it, you know. But it's not. you don't need hundreds of hours. You just need to, to find the right little groove, get to your groove. Mm. You know, it's, it's like a quarterback, you know. If they get that out of rhythm, they're going to look really bad. But once they get in there, once they kind of hit that, they're solid. They're good. You know, you get a little break, but you go back in. Okay. And another feature about it, too, is that it's also about being prepared. Because, mm. you know, Dark Souls, I had prepared to die, but this is prepared to survive, I would say. You know, you can go into I, any quest, you know at any point, and you can do really good or you can do really bad. It all depends on what weapon you've got equipped and what armor you've got equipped. And I think that's the biggest uh, hurdle. And that's actually what I like about World was they, they took away a lot of that stress at times, where every item will give you some benefit. Where in Generations Ultimate you can look super cool, but if you don't get all those skill points added up right, you're going to have no skills, you're going to have lower, you know, Resistances and it's you're just gonna get wrecked. Interesting. Well, we'll see next year because I have a feeling I'm probably gonna buy the new Monster Hunter uh, because they're bringing Geralt of Rivia from The Witcher into it, and I have a bizarre compulsion to buy everything that is attached to The Witcher multiple times. So I'll I'll probably buy that. Uh. <laughs> I'm I'm looking forward to next year for World. I really am. I think they're gonna have a big thing. And it's one thing I love about the Monster Hunter franchise, because um, I learned this about Capcom, is it's one company, but each you know, Street Fighter, that's its own little studio inside of Capcom. Monster Hunter is sure. its own studio inside of Capcom. So, you know, you might hear about the bad things Capcom has done, but you don't hear about a lot of these good things that Monster Hunter really does. I mean, the you know, I don't even know if it's going to be paid yet or not, but all this DLC that I've had so far has been free. You know, and I love that, that they, they extend the lives of their games so well. Sure. I don't like a lot of the timed events in World. That's one thing I think Generations Ultimate does better, um, is that... Oh, so, what? It, uh, so, way, so, World has a lot of different events. They've had, like, the spring event, the winter events, all these things, which is really cool. But um, one thing about the older games is when they had DLC, it's a forever quest. Now, they're very difficult. Um, I don't I tend to avoid them because... I'm so busy that there's so many other monsters to hunt that trying to hunt some of these other things, I'm like, I'll, I'll, I'll pass on that. Because I'm just, mm-hmm. you know, and also too, a lot of them are, it is a very Japanese-based game, so there are a lot of Japanese, more centric uh, styles and, and trends that I'm not as aware of, being uh, mm-hmm. an American, but um, 
But I like that I can go in and I can just, at any point, whether it's today, whether it's next year, I can do those same quests to get uh, the One Piece armor or the Mega Man suit or something like that. Whereas, like, I saw, I know the Aloy quest was, was only timed. Um, and a lot of these festival events that have these particular quests are, are timed. And being a father, and I'm sure a lot of people listening are, are parents, you know, it's harder to find times to play when you got kids. Sometimes you can play with them, but you need, you know, when you only got a week to get something done, that week goes by very quickly. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, one, one of the things that we also uh, like to do here on Dark Station with our top five lists is we like to uh, kind of shine the spotlight on one of our favorite games that we've played uh, that didn't come out this past year, but came out previously. Um, what's your favorite game that you played in 2018, but is actually from at some point in time before? Um, that's an easy one. Uh, it is Blood Bowl 2. It's a, uh, for those who aren't aware of Warhammer or that whole uh, Games Workshop, it's, uh, basically it's, best way to describe it is rugby with football-ish rules set in Warhammer fantasy. (laughs) Um... It's uh, I play on the PS4, but it's available on three on three sixty, uh, Xbox One and PC, and uh, it the reason I love it so much is because I found a league to play in, and I play with a bunch of guys. A lot of them are are uh, over in the UK, and it's I mean it's a lot of fun to just jump in, and it's violence based, but it's a turn based strategy game, so it's you know. It exists on the tabletop as well, but I just I love Blood Bowl too. I love, you know, I chat with guys, and there's so many diverse races. If you know anyone knows anything about Warhammer, you know that it gets very complicated to explain. <laughs> um, but I I love Undead, and I have those guys in there. I fall in love with the Nurgle team, um, and there's a lot of different play styles. Like my Nurgle team is more of a defensive, let them make a mistake and then pile on. There's also the elf, elves who are quick, fast, and can score crazy fast, good. There's humans who are the always, ever jack-of-trades. Um, but just joining those leagues and playing, and you see these matchups, and you get to learn the players, and, and it's just that, that strategy of you know figuring out how do you beat not only my opponent, but the dice. Because like all tabletop games, it revolves around, around, a lot around luck. Uh, I got a little mad yesterday because I had some pretty bad luck in my game. Unfortunately, I lost, but I still had fun. That's always good. Uh, it's the, I think it's a sign of a good sports game, which this is a sports strategy game, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but um, if, you, if you can lose and still have fun, then, then it's a good time. The trick is you got to find A, the little things, and B... You know, you got to remember that for every bit of bad luck happening to you, it's going to flip and you're going to have all that good luck and someone's going to be on the other side of it. And that's that's what helps me because I've had plenty of games where everything went my way and I dominated. And then two games later, I can't, I can barely even get a player to move two squares without falling on his face. <laughs> well, Ed, uh, any final thoughts uh, about either Monster Hunter or Blood Bowl uh, before we move on to the next section? Uh, the big thing I'll say is that for those who have played Monster Hunter World, 
if you own a Switch, I highly recommend giving Generations Ultimate a chance. It's very different. Um, there's a lot of things that have changed. The armor sets are different. Um, some, of the, some of the weapons work is different. The, the whole, even the map and the mo- amount of monsters is different. But there's a lot of content in there. There's a lot of, you know, being on the go is also a lot of fun because I can pick up and do a quick hunt while I'm waiting, and, you know, for something. I picked up my phone today and I could, uh, I was able to play a little bit there. Um, it's, a, it's, a lot of, it's a lot of difference, but there's a lot of online help. And it's one thing that Monster Hunter community has taught me is that the online community for that game is huge. I've actually got an app on my phone that allows me to look, tells me all the information I need about monsters, weapons, armor, skills, all these different things. There's so many resources out there to help you. So if you're able to, get it. It's different. It'll take some time. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid to look up some things. And, uh, you know, be prepared. Go unprepared and you will take out everything from the, uh, from the Tetsukabra to the Alterion to the Narcacos. Probably pronounced that wrong. But definitely give it a shot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, awesome. Well, thanks, Ed. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Talk to you again soon. Thanks Thanks for having me on. Welcome back to the Darkcast, everybody. I'm Jonathan Miley. Joining me today is David Silbert. How are you doing, David? I'm doing well, Jonathan. How are you? How are you doing? I'm doing awesome. I'm glad to have you on the show. This is this is really great doing the uh, the game of the year stuff. We've had multiple people first time on the show, and hopefully they will be returning voices uh, in the Darkcast throughout 2019. Uh, it's been exciting to to meet new people. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's funny. As soon as we started recording, now I suddenly got kind of nervous, but no, hopefully this will be good. I, I'm I'm excited to chat. <laughs> uh, don't be nervous. We're just we're just two people talking about video games. That's True. all this is. I can, if if anything happens, we just leave it in post. It'll be fine. That's excellent. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Yeah. Well, we're here to to talk about some of our favorite games of 2018, and. Uh, what, what have you picked to talk about? Yeah, so I picked Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Okay. Not necessarily because it's my, I don't know, my favorite game necessarily of the year, but just because I was kind of floored by how much I did enjoy it, uh, especially sure. going into it for the first time. You know. Now, what is your uh, kind of experience with Assassin's Creed before Odyssey? Yeah, that's a good... So I start... I've played... I think I've dabbled with almost all of them. I played through... I started with the first one. Uh, played through the entire the entirety of Assassin's Creed One, played all the Ezio games, touched on three a little bit, though I kind of stopped midway through, and then I've just played every now and again. I've picked up an Assassin's Creed game and probably put it down just because they've gotten bigger and bigger, and it's been yeah. you know tougher. To, <laughs> Black Flag, you know, I really enjoy that game. Never came close to finishing that. For example, Syndicate, I heard great things about. Never really sure. finished it. So yeah, and I skipped Origins entirely. I just I'd been Me meaning too. to play it, but well, I was. You know. Some somebody actually gave me a copy of Origins, and really? I I played through the beginning where you're 
you're like fighting a dude in a sandstorm and then you you come out to this small town and like the first time you open the map like there are immediately so many icons on the screen i was like oh no turn off (laughs) immediately done (laughs) so i then i went back and played some more and I don't it, – it's really funny. There's a conversation between me and Alan. Uh, I think it's episode three that people can check out where it's really funny. We had the exact opposite experiences with Origin and Odyssey where he was just continually confused by Odyssey. <laughs> but he fully understands the story and, like, motivations behind characters and everything and Origins. And I couldn't tell you anything about Origins. I, I went on to play to the point where you get to Alexandria and you meet your wife. But I like I know nothing. I was so confused by that game, and I'm not sure why. And on the flip side, I have no idea how Alan is confused by Odyssey because it feels incredibly straightforward and understandable to me. So it's right. it's really hilarious. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so so, uh, what are some of the things that make Assassin's Creed Odyssey one of your favorite games of the past year? Yeah, I think the the important lens to look at when kind of assessing this game is as somebody in the working world now, like I'm recently out of college, but I've been working for a little bit now. And, and one of the main things that's been, I, I hesitate to call it like a plague, but like one of the things that's been hindering my playing through of games and my backlog and things that come out during the year is just how little time I have now that I can devote to games throughout the week. So mm-hmm. it's a lot of it's working Usually on the weekend, I have maximum something along the tune of you know five to ten hours to play through something, and a lot of that time gets sucked up playing something like Hearthstone or you know rounds of Smash Brothers or whatever. And I think what I really appreciated about Assassin's Creed Odyssey was just how how quick everything was, like how almost almost arcadey the game feels. You know, if you compare it to a game like Red Dead, where you know Rockstar was going for that immersion of you know, skinning a deer takes thirty seconds because you're in you're you're in the the shoes of Arthur Morgan and that's what's going on. Right. Whereas you're looting something in Assassin's Creed Odyssey and it's instantaneous. It's like you pick there, it up. There's no. I don't think there's even an animation for like. Picking there's stuff no up. animation. They don't. <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, that's actually on uh, Dragon Age Inquisition. Yeah. Uh, there's a mod to remove animations from looting stuff. Yeah. And just, like, auto-take everything. Because you're, you're going to take everything anyway. Like, why yeah. do you need to press two buttons to take everything? So you can just be, like, running through the field and just, like, continually pressing A or X or what, whatever the button is to, to loot something. And that way you don't have to, like, stop, bend down, open up a chest, have a menu, press the button yeah. to take everything. And that's fantastic. So, yeah, totally agree. That is that is wonderful. Everything. I mean, it makes sense in Red Dead. Like, I can't right. say that they should not do that. But for the most part, everybody should have no loot animation and auto-take everything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just feels like, you know, it feels like, I don't know if it was the same thing with uh, Origins, but I know it, it just feels like Ubisoft, they knew going into this, like, we're not going to go for necessarily the most realistic games. Although, like, Assassin's Creed... Typically, they do have a little bit of that realism, you know, the historical moments or rich right, on but, historical moments. And in Odyssey, you do fight a Minotaur that right. has been created <laughs> from a magic, you know, sphere of ancient technology. So I feel like we can just stop pretending that we're trying to be realistic. Exactly. And and while, you know, while at it, why not have horse, you know, have, have your horse steer like it's a car in Grand Theft Auto and just plug in a waypoint say, I want to go here, and you can let your controller go, the horse is just going to, like, steamroll on a road towards it. It's like yep. the complete opposite of Roach and The Witcher and 
other yes. you know, games like that. It's so much easier. And I don't know, it really appealed to me. I really liked that. Yeah, sure. Sure. Have you, uh, have you beaten the main game in Odyssey? Or That's the other thing about it is, so, you know, it, it's tough in a fall season where a lot of great games came out to to go through all all the content in Odyssey. So I, I haven't actually made it to the end, and I know it's like a 60-plus hour game, something to the tune of that. But I've been yeah. just sucked up playing even just the mini side quests, the, the daily quests that pop up so telling mm. you to sink X amount of ships or go and talk to this person. And I feel like there's a, you know, a good mix of fetch quests there, but there's also, mm-hmm. I'm surprised by how much they've managed to seamlessly bring in dialogue sure. into even those daily missions. So everybody's voiced. It doesn't feel like you're just, like, it doesn't really feel like necessary padding or filler. I don't know if you felt the same way. I, so I haven't really played with any of, I did some of the daily quests at the beginning because yeah. I didn't realize they were daily quests. Sure. Um, and I did several of the, like, you'll see icons where it has, it looks kind of like two paths diverging. It'll have like two arrows pointing in opposite direction. I don't right. know if I'm not seeing that correctly or what it's uh-huh. supposed to be. Right, That's right. what it looks like to me. Um, and then there are a few other, the marker is usually like a, a black diamond with like a, I think a, yep. an eye in it or something like that. Yeah. I right. pretty much completely stay away from those because the first mm-hmm. few that I did, I did not enjoy, um, because they're, they're kind of fetch questy. Yeah. And I, right. I, th- I feel like I've just played too many RPGs where it's like, I don't want to do any of those. Now, if you have a gold marker above your head, I will come talk to you and I will sure. do what you ask me. Mm. Even though half of those quests are fetch quest it's like wrapped in a greater story right um and some of them lead to some much bigger stories like there, there's two quest lines that i really adored um on the kind of west or east side of the map there's uh, ebia and uh mykonos okay. where they have like island-wide quests uh where it's not you know, in something like The Witcher or something like that, you would have, like, a single quest line that kind of carries you through. And this, like, you get a quest and it ends, and then you get a new quest. It's all part of the same chain, but the game doesn't actually make it part of the same chain, right. which is a little odd. Uh-huh. Um, like, one of the reasons that uh, Odyssey is not actually on my top five, it's in my honorable mentions, okay. uh, is the way that it's an RPG is kind of broken, um, you can tell that this is a studio that has made many open world games and makes mm. like good action games. Like combat is fun, right? right. Uh, but as far as some kind of like traditional, just like RPG quality of life things, it's just not there. Like right. the way that when you talk to somebody and they give you a quest, it doesn't automatically like assign that quest as your active quest. You have to pause the game, go into your yeah. quest map, find it, select it. Um, that's really dumb. <laughs> <laughs> and there's uh, the, the way that like uh, loot is doled out. Right. The fact that pretty much everything is at your level or only one or two things above. You, you never have like loot to work towards, I feel like. Mm. Um, and so while it's nice that they let you upgrade all of your loot um, to like keep it with you, it's also ridiculous how many resources are required to keep that stuff at your level. Uh, so it's really just better to get whatever is newest and then abandon it immediately as soon as you get something slightly better. Uh, which, you know, that's the way a lot of games go, but usually you have some, you've got an axe or you've got like some shield or whatever the case may be. You've got something you're working towards. Like eventually yeah. I'm going to reach level 52 <clears throat> and I'm going to be able to use the crap out of that weapon and I'm excited for it. Right. And the way that it's doled out, you're, you're always just getting stuff you can use now. 
Um, and again, like that makes sense from like an action game, but as far as RPG goes, like I'm like, oh man, I wish I had stuff that I could, you know, look forward to more. Um, that makes sense. Yeah, no, I think that totally makes sense to me. Uh, I didn't really think about that until you brought it up, but I definitely see. It does seem like there's not. I don't know. One game that I like to think about, and and a game that I certainly think uh, Odyssey took a lot of inspiration from, was like Zelda: Breath of the Wild, mm. and how there's always a new place to explore. There's always something new to discover. Uh, one of my problems with Breath of the Wild, though, is that feeling that you you know all the weapons are kind of expendable. They're going to break at, at some yeah. point. You're going to have to. You know, you're not going to ever get some kind of crazy new thing outside of what's related to like the Master Sword or the you know your your Hillian Shield. Um, Odyssey, I guess it's kind of similar when I think about it like that, where you don't ever get like a level 99 weapon and this huge legendary that that you're working towards. But I do think it's still kind of addictive to find, I don't know, maybe part of the reason why I like going through the fetch quests, even if they are fetch quests, is that there's always that kind of adrenaline of, you know, wondering, am I going to get like a legendary weapon? What kind of rewards am I going to get from this? And I guess even if it's not quite that, you know, that quality of life RPG standard that we have with Witcher in terms of how, you know, detailed the quests are and, you know, how, how detailed the world is. I do think that you take the, you know, the gameplay fundamentals that Assassin's Creed has always had, and then you add this new rich layer of RPG light, for lack of a better term, onto it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, it just, it made an interesting mix for me as somebody who just didn't play the first one with Origins and, you sure. know... When playing through, it was something where, you know, am I going to say it's necessarily I had a better time with it than a pure RPG game like Witcher or, a, you know, a pure action game like Red Dead or open world game like that? Maybe not, but something something about it just struck me as, wow, like, I don't have a lot of time on my hands. I can just j- jump into, a, a you know, some time playing Assassin's Creed Odyssey, run around the map. Doing some, you know, flipping up to to the Icarus, the the bird in the sky. Right. Plug out a hideout. Do some kind of like Far Cry esque stealthing around and mm-hmm. looting and all that kind of good stuff. And just like it feels almost to me that it brings in a lot of the interesting parts of past Assassin's Creed game. That's the other kind of part of it to me. Sure. Maybe even aside from the role playing aspects, if you think certain Assassin's Creed games kind of. I know naval combat started with Assassin's Creed 3, and then it kind of was a question of whether or not it was in or out for certain games, like Unity, it, it, I don't believe, used it, but then... It didn't, no. And, and Syndicate didn't either, but then Rogue had it, so it almost like we split off into a timeline where you had games like Black Flag that were these sprawling worlds where you can have a ship and you're exploring and doing all this good stuff. I think it's cool that, that Odyssey has naval combat, an expansive open world... But it still has some of that Assassin's-ish stealth that we had from the first game. or, or Sure. It feels like uh, it's a, you know, made a nice mix of, well, of good and new and old, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, one of the things that I actually really like about it is, one, like, there's enough skills in the game that um, I think after you reach level 50, uh, you continue to get, like, levels, and you could get all the skills if you wanted to. Mm. Right, But for the most part, like, you're actually having to pick and choose how you want to play. It's not, like, really one of my only complaints against the um, Spider-Man is the fact that the way its skill tree works is you're not, 
you're not choosing how you play Spider-Man. You're really just picking the order that you're opening up these abilities. Right. Um, and, you know, it makes sense. All of those things are things that, like, Spider-Man should and kind of, you know, could do. So it, right, right. it makes sense in that that game. Uh, it's really just kind of a personal preference of how skill trees work for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of the things that I like about this one, and one of the complaints <laughs> I've heard about this game is the fact that, oh, you know, you can't be a stealthy assassin anymore. It's all right, about the combat. Right. It's like, no, that's not true. Right. I can assassinate like everybody. Um, <laughs> yeah. There's, it's really like the elite guards that are like two levels above me, I think, or, or more, like those yeah. are the people I can't assassinate. But right, right. Because I put my points into the assassin's tree and because I like gear my gear towards the stuff that gives me assassin like kill buffs or whatever, however it terms it. Right. Like I'm, I'm really good at being an assassin and like <laughs> yeah, dropping right. on people and killing them in one blow. Um, so the fact that I'm able to kind of like build towards that is, is great. And that's, that's one of the things that I really like about it because I can be stealthy. I can hide in the bushes. I can assassinate that guy. I can throw my spear and like chain link, like five kills in a row. And it's really satisfying to do. Right. Yeah. No, I think it's, again, it's, it, it takes a lot of interesting elements of different Assassin's Creed games and different games outside of the genre that I, I just didn't anticipate going in. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just, yeah, part of why I was maybe just surprised. Maybe part of it is just the surprise of picking up an Assassin's Creed game and, and telling myself, huh, you know, I had never really thought of this series as being, I don't know, game of the year worthy or, I mean, of course they're AAA games, but I never really, I think outside of maybe Assassin's Creed 2 and Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, I never really thought of the series as, you know, these are these are potential game of the year winners. And playing through Assassin's Creed Odyssey for me, I just feel like I could get lost in that world and there's so much left to discover. It remains to be seen whether or not the game gets a little repetitive going on because I, I think I've played something around 20, 30 hours and so there's another, you know, half plus, maybe triple the amount of time left to go with the with the game. But uh, just based on what I've played, I, I just feel like it's something special that fans of the series will enjoy. Something special that even if you haven't played an Assassin's Creed game, you know, if you liked a game like Witcher 3, you like a game, even if you enjoyed Red Dead and you're looking for something a little more quick pace or whatever to, mm-hmm. to get through when you're in the holidays might be worth picking up. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, one of the other things that we like to do with our top five lists is kind of shine the spotlights on one of our favorite games uh, that we only just now played in 2018, but is from sometime in the past. What What is your pick for favorite game of 2018 that was actually not released in 2018? Yeah, so this was a pretty easy pick for me. Uh, I went with Hollow Knight, uh, the Switch port, because, and I guess it's just, you know, it, technically the Switch port came out in 2018, right? But sure. Hollow Knight proper came out last year, and I remember it was one of my most anticipated games last year. I remember every Nintendo Direct, I would be like, what, you know, trying to make predictions. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Oh, Team Cherry is going to finally announce the release date for Hollow Knight on Switch. Like, it's going to happen. And it never happened. And and <laughs> I had my guard down finally, this E3, when <laughs> when when finally during the Direct they say, oh, and Hollow Knight available now. And I think I almost, I just completely lost it. I, completely, I was like, oh my god, it's out now, I have to play it. And you know what? It's, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I think there were a lot of good Metroidvania games that came out this year, uh, and many of which I haven't had the chance to play, but you know, games like uh, Guacamelee 2, Roku's mm-hmm. Island Express, that made my honorable mentions just because it's you know, a shake-up of pinball in Metroidvania. There were games like Chasm, which I reviewed for the site, which I wasn't super fond of, but you know, there were just a lot of uh, you know, different 
Metroidvania experiences that came out this year, and none had the scope, the scale, the personality, the charm, the just the the mystery behind it and its world and the characters that you know Hall and I just really delivered on all fronts with that for me. Absolutely, yeah. I I played that on. I think I got it on PC. Right. Um, and I have I've not finished it. I've gotten I've not gotten anywhere near finishing it. <laughs> yeah. I've pretty much given up on it because yeah. it is so there are certain games that have a particular brand of difficulty that right. I really jive with right, and right. I love everything about this game except how hard it is. <laughs> yeah. Um I'm trying to remember what boss I got. So you go to like a a broken down castle like way yes. under, I mean obviously all of the game is is way underground. Right, right. Um but maybe maybe it's the Soul Master. I think that might be um, the, was it the a guy. Ma- was it a mandatory boss? Yeah, it's a mandatory okay. boss. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's one of the ones that you. Um, I think is the one that gives you the ability to do like a slam on the ground. Okay. Um, and like I, I was able to tackle a couple of the side bosses that you you don't have to do. Yeah. And and I love like the way the game controls. The music is just yeah. like audibly gorgeous. The music's fantastic. Um, but like I got to this boss and I I don't know how many times I tried, but I was just not able to meddle my way through it. And yeah, yeah I just I, I appreciate that appreciate that game from afar now. Um, sure. it is it is great, but it is it is not for me. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's funny though, because I don't really consider myself to be um, this is not me bragging about my skills or anything like that, but like I, I don't really consider myself to be that that go, you know searching for that hardcore kind of gameplay experience. Like I, I, I love I love Bloodborne, but I, I really didn't click with the other the rest of the Souls mm-hmm. franchise. Like those games just really aren't for me. Um, but I mean, in many ways, you can see the influence of a game like that on Hollow Knight. But for whatever reason, I came into it and thought to myself, yeah, this game is you know challenging. Uh, but thankfully, I guess they through the various charms you can equip and uh, many of the routes. I, I guess what I really appreciated about the game is it's possible to play the game according to you. It, it almost feels mm-hmm. like a Breath of the Wild, like that formula matched to a Metroidvania, 2D Metroidvania game because you can unlock items in certain ways and that unlocks certain zones before others. And so you're able to kind of go around the map with your own agenda and based on your playstyle, you might unlock something before a friend of your, a friend of yours might unlock something at a, a different point in the game. That kind of struck me as interesting, especially given how kind of vast the world is. And, mm-hmm. you know, this game is like a 40 plus hour experience that at least in my opinion, didn't have a lot of filler, you know, a lot, mm-hmm. of, not a lot of repetition of enemy types, not a lot of repetition of bosses. No, you're, you're constantly finding you know? new areas, new enemies, new, yeah. it's, like it's, I think that's one of the other thing that I, I feel like I have a hard time with the game is that, like you're, you're never just fighting one enemy for too terribly long. You're constantly mm. facing a new challenge. Yeah. And yeah. you know when when a game kind of throws the same enemy at you for a, a while, you're like, oh, I got this. Right. Right. And I I think kind of maybe the way the game is structured, you mentioned, you know, the the Bloodborne kind of souls. Uh, angle where you die, you go back to a, a bench, and then you yeah. have to retrieve your your um, whatever the experience in the game is. I don't sure. remember what it's called. Yeah, but um, 
but yeah, it's I, I think because you can kind of replay areas because of dying, you could get really good at one particular enemy right. type. Whatever its difficulty is, like I'm I'm finding other things just a little too hard. Yeah. Um, but uh but yeah, no, that is that is an excellent game and I would highly recommend anybody play it. Uh if I mean just like if you like uh Metroidvania style stuff. Uh and if you like uh Dark Souls or Bloodborne, yeah, like Absolutely. Give it a shot. 100%. Awesome. Well, cool. Uh, that, that does it uh, for this part of the, the show. Any final thoughts about either Assassin's Creed or Hollow Knight? No, other than everybody that listens to this should consider playing both. Awesome. All right, well, thanks, David. And uh, we'll be back in just a moment to talk about more of our favorite games of the year. Thank you, Jonathan. <laughs> Welcome back to the Dark Cast. I'm Jonathan Miley. Joining me is John Kay. How are you doing, John? I'm excellent. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm glad to be doing Game of the Year stuff. We took a break last year. We are back though, and I'm I'm excited for the you know, the new format to to hear from a bunch of different people uh, on you know some of their favorite games of the year. So I think this is going to be really fun. It's that time of year again, isn't it? Yeah, it came by quick, or yeah. came up quick, or what whatever the correct verbiage is there. Uh, but it's here now, so. <laughs> So, uh, so what are we here to talk about, John? What? I don't know when the top five gets posted, but uh, spoiler alert in case you haven't seen it yet, it's uh, Don't Starve Hamlet is my favorite game of the year. So it's actually DLC for the game Don't Starve. Nice. You were actually talking about that uh, last time you were on the show. That was right. uh, about to come out, and you were excited to, to get your hands on it. So sounds like it didn't disappoint. No, it did not disappoint at all. In fact, it's very impressive how they took this, uh, gosh, it's almost five years old now. They oh, wow. took this old game, and it's had a DLC. It had a multiplayer DLC as well. And right. I remember there was uh, Don't Starve Shipwrecked, Don't right. Starve Together. I feel like there was one or two other uh, Don't Starve expansions. They've had a lot of special events in Don't Starve Together. Mm. similar to what, uh, say, Blizzard would do on Halloween with World of Warcraft. So they've had a lot of content like that. So they've provided excellent support for Don't Starve Together. And I figured the game was pretty much completely played out, and then they kind of announced this surprise DLC, and it ends up they managed to squeeze another few dozen hours at least out of the game. It's fantastic. Awesome. So, So what is Don't Starve Hamlet? Don't well. If, uh, would you want to say what "Don't Starve" is first, just for those who? Sure. Yeah. If somebody's never heard of it, go ahead. And what's the, the breakdown a, of "Don't Starve"? "Don't Starve" is kind of a, in some ways, a typical survival crafting strategy game. You collect resources from the environment, you craft stuff, and then you craft workstations so that you can craft better stuff, and you craft weapons and armor to defend yourself from increasingly difficult enemies. 
And really the goal of the game is in the title. Just don't starve and see how long you can live for. And it ends up being a pretty difficult task, even in the core game. So what what is your record uh, for not starving? Oh, I think 250 days. And after that, I kind of just would usually get sick of that one world and then start a fresh world with a new character. <laughs> I think I still have those old worlds kind of lingering around if I ever want to pick them up again. Okay. But, uh, no, it's possible to it's possible to make it that far once you learn the tricks. Gotcha. They have seasons and they have tons of hazards and just about everything in the game kills you the first time that you experience it because you don't know how to deal with it. Okay. Well, so what what does uh, Don't Starve Hamlet do? Does it recreate the Shakespearean play or what, what's going on? Uh, it's kind of a Shakespeare-themed DLC, so it has a lot of Shakespearean references in its humor. So you meet a lot of pig characters and the okay, sh- th- those two things don't necessarily go together. <laughs> right. Well, I think, you know, Hamlet, I, you know, Ham, Hamlet, Pork, I think that might, uh, that might be it. And also, one of the new game mechanics is a village with an economy in it. So I guess Hamlet kind of has a double entendre. Okay, we're going like triple meeting well. here. We right. got, we got Shakespeare, we got Pork, we got Town. I like it. Right. That is and, economic use of words. Yes. And uh, so the characters in the game will, they've added all kinds of uh, pork-related twists to Shakespearean quotes. For instance, uh, I bite my thumb at thee becomes I bite my hoof at thee. Things like that when they're attacking you. Okay. Uh, uh, they The poop in the game they call plop instead of poop. So they call it plop. And you get, you can earn money by cleaning poop off of their doorsteps. And they will say, out, damn, plop, instead of out, damn, spot. So there's all kinds of little humorous references like that. Okay. <laughs> uh, and so it, it's probably the funniest uh, that Don't Starve has been. And they also... I was going to say, I don't, I, I've never played Don't Starve, but I... I haven't heard of it being particularly hilarious. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of lighthearted and dark at the same time. So it's uh, I'm trying to think if there's a there's an analogy I can make maybe with movies, but it has a lot of kind of dark humor to it. The dark part being just how brutal the world is and how strange and difficult it is to survive, and all of the hybrid creatures that they have in the game. For instance, there is a creature called the Koalephant, which, as you might expect, is half koala bear, half elephant. It's this Mm -hmm. creature that you can kill. It's actually pretty tough to kill, but you get some pretty good resources from it. They have a lot of creatures like that. Nice. I like like Koalephant. That's a a good name. And in, in somewhat of a weird example of genre mixing, they also kind of added these Indiana Jones-style tombs to the game. Mm. So they kind of, they don't, you wouldn't think those things would fit together, but it actually fits quite well. Okay. So they have these rainforest areas where some very Indiana Jonesy music, kind of this ominous music similar to what would have been uh, 
in the opening scene of Raiders of the Lost Ark. That kind of music plays in the rainforest, and then you find these ruins, and you go and you plunder relics and sell them for money. Very cool. Very cool. So, aside from, you know, just kind of reinventing uh, an old game and uh, adding all this content, kind of what, what makes this the your your game of the year? Well, I think it's, like I said, I like the humor a lot, but I think what's amazing about this is that they managed to add game mechanics that change the survival strategies that you've come up with over however many hours you've played the other games. Hmm. So just about any evergreen game, whether it's a survival game or maybe if you play a game like Civilization, you kind of hone in on some strategies that you play with every time. And the game plays out somewhat different, but even after 200 hours, just about anything starts to get repetitive in some way. And they managed to do more than put a fresh coat of paint on it. They managed to change up the game enough to where it plays different, and you have to invent new strategies for surviving, and I really like that. I think that's uh, pretty brilliant that they managed to do that after all of this content that they've come out with. Excellent. Excellent. Now, um, one of the things that we like to do uh, with our top fives is we always write about uh, one of our favorite games that we played that came out before whatever the year is. Uh, what What is your pick for favorite game released before 2018 that you played in 2018? I actually had a harder time with this than I did with the top five list for this year. And that is like that now because I love to get all my games on Steam sale, so I end up playing <laughs> the previous year's games of the year always in subsequent years. But uh, Sure. I played, uh, I loved Prey. I thought that game was excellent. I loved Shadow of the Tomb Raider. Or wait, oh. Rise of the Tomb Raider. Rise, Rise of the Tomb okay. Raider. I get my Tomb Raiders mixed up, but the one I picked was Legend of Grimrock 2. Okay. I think that's one of the best sequels ever made. And I didn't really like the first one that much, so I kind of almost didn't play this one, and I ended up thinking it was just fantastic game beginning to end. Interesting. I, um, I remember... Uh, playing a little bit of Legend of Grim- Grimrock, and it's just not at all my type of game. Yeah. Uh, what? What kind of? What does Grimrock Two improve on over the uh, the original? The first game was very much war. It's old school dungeon crawling uh, origins on its sleeve. I mean, it really made no apology about what it was. It was just a very old school grid based game where the world virtually has no reason to exist other than to just give you hallways to walk down and treasure chests to find. And for this game, they actually set it on kind of this open world island, which that has to be the first grid-based open world game that I played, well, at least the first one that I've enjoyed. And that was a huge expansion in how the game works because it made exploration very fun they still had all of the secrets in it, but uh, now the world is much bigger, and you can kind of go where you please, mostly from the beginning. I mean, there's still some certain things that you have to unlock, but I think the big open world was a huge addition to it, and they added that without losing any of the charm or the character of the design, so they did not... They did not skimp on world detail at all. In fact, I think they enhanced it even 
They added even more world detail this time. More environments, more enemies, smarter enemies. So a lot of the little tricks that you would use in the first game uh, did not work anymore in this game, so you kind of had to learn new tricks. New character types. I mean, it was just a massive expansion of everything the game did right and then added some things that probably nobody expected. Excellent. And that's that's very impressive considering the praise the first game got. I think they could have gotten away with just uh, pooping out a sequel to, the ne- to that game and calling it a day. Or at least they could have gotten away with it commercially, but they didn't do that at all. They really, sure. they really exceeded expectations with that game. I think. I think that's one of the the wonderful things about uh, the the indie scene, you know, just kind of expanding as it has in the last, I guess, like ten years now. Um, you know, people aren't worrying so much about selling a billion copies and making a ton of money. They're making a new game because they they want to. Um, and so a small team isn't going to make a, you know, a sequel to a game that they loved just because, you know, they, because they're going to make a billion dollars, they're going to make it because they want to improve on what they did the last time and, and so on and so forth. Um, so that is, that is good to hear. That is not something I will play, but I'm glad that you enjoyed it. (laughs) It's, uh. Yeah, you know, money obviously is important in this as a business at the end of the day, but it's good to see that there are still people who get the business part and the the love of the hobby at the same time. It's very encouraging to see that that still can happen. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, well, any uh, final thoughts about either Grimrock or um, Don't Starve Hamlet? No, I don't think so. I can't wait to see what uh, what games I miss this year that end up in the as the best the best non twenty nineteen game of the year next year. <laughs> I'm sure there's going to well, be Well, they'll they'll all be on sale shortly, so don't you yep. worry. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, thanks, John, and uh, we'll be back in just a moment to discuss more of our favorite games of two thousand eighteen. Welcome back to the Dark Cast. I'm Jonathan Miley. Joining me is Gregory Wright. Or is it Greg Wright? It's been a long time since we talked. What do you go by? Oh, Gregory is fine. Okay. How's it going? It goes. Can't complain. Well, it's good to hear. Well, we have a very important game to talk about today on our uh, Game of the Year podcast here on Dark Station. What is that game, Greg? Oh, I am am just so honored that I get to be the one to talk about this, too. Because it is like, blew my mind that nobody wanted to talk about this yet. And I, I mean, they were all being nice to me. I get it. Yeah. And I'm thankful. They, they were paid yeah. away. This is this is for you to talk about. Oh, right yes. Now. For good reasons. We have what I personally consider to be the game of the year, the, the fantastic God of War, the not even reboot, more like the continuation, the epic continuation of Kratos and his journey. <laughs> uh, many people, like it... 
many, for many people, it's either this or it's Red Dead Redemption 2. And they're both wrong, but that's okay. <laughs> right. And then we have the contrarians among us. Uh, uh, no, we, we have the people that are right, and it's, choice. it's Spider-Man, so we can just lay that to the side. We don't have to argue. We can be friends. Uh, everybody knows Spider-Man's the correct choice. Oh, okay. Anyway. <laughs> but yes, epic continuation slash reboot. I mean, I, I never really got into the previous uh, games, and I feel like this has a pretty good, like, fresh start. I feel like there's a lot of stuff if you're a part of the series to kind of call back to, but also it's there's a reason they didn't call it God of War 4, and that's because it's also a good jumping on point or jumping off point or whatever the correct term would be. Although many people people do call it God of War 4 just to to, uh, differentiate it from the first one, you know? Sure. I like to call it God of 4. Combine... War and four, yeah, yeah. If it was all uppercase letters, then you know we could do the terrible thing of replacing letters with numbers and have it be W four R, and oh, be geez. you know real cool. Which I think, if God of War four came out when the original God of War came out, then that's exactly what they would have done. They absolutely would have. But yeah, um, Kratos is a little less edgy nowadays. Which is a good thing overall. Kind of, he's kind of toned down quite a bit on the anger. Still very angry though. So when he, yeah, when he, when he, when he gets pushed, like it will come out. But he has to be pushed this time, at least, instead of just you know automatically erupting into it, killing anything and everything around him. That is true. He actually has like a range of emotions. It's not just angry and angrier. Right. Uh, there's some there's some uh, somberness in there. There's some sadness, some quiet times. Uh, so, so what makes God of Four uh, your game of the year? Uh, part of it is exactly what you said. There's some range of emotions in there. Um, a big part of it, like I think, lots of people like it because they grew up playing the previous games. And there's a few of them. There's um there's at least four on the consoles. And there's a couple on the handheld systems, and every, you know everybody's kind of seen the the arc that Kratos traveled, and so yeah, to see him rebooted like this, like the the biggest thing, like when I first heard of this game, is that he's in a new land, and that means like a whole new pantheon of gods, and what do you think Kratos is going to do with them, <laughs> right? So <laughs> you already get like this joy in you. But um, he's actually grown up with us. Like, yes, he was a man, had a family, went through horribleness, took his revenge. Like, that's that's a lifetime. Um, but he's really kind of matured after all this time being away. Like, he's more in control of himself. He has a better range of emotions. The people that were playing those games back in the day, we're more adult. We have a better range of emotions. It really... Like his his story arc in this game, especially like with his with his new wife. I mean, this shouldn't be a spoiler. It's I consider anything in like the first ten minutes of a game totally not a spoiler. Like his his new wife is dead. Right. He's got he's got to take care of this kid. Lots of us didn't have kids back then, and lots of us have kids now. I think I think that helps. Uh, the just the the transformation, the maturing. 
and the it doesn't it doesn't hurt that the story itself is just fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, at, being a father, how do you feel uh, the kind of writing and acting and everything captures uh, both the uh, Atreus as a child in the the game, and then also Kratos as a father? Oh yeah, that's a good question. Um, they kind of rushed. And I mean, this is, is you know comparing a lifetime with kids growing up to a to a video game, of course, right? But they kind of rush, they kind of rush his kid through like the the adolescent phase a bit, and uh, you know, kind of angry that your parents, kind of mad, kind of I know what's best. Why don't you let me do things my own way? And of course, as we both know, like all kids are stupid, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. They kind of rush that a bit, but they get they get a lot of it right, and it's even like it's even worse because Kratos doesn't feel like he deserves this at all. Like he he already he knows his past, and it just haunts him. And so like he will know, like a moment will come in the game, he will know that what he needs to do is to reach out and just show a little love to his kid. And the game is – it's just so well-paced and so well-acted that he will reach out and Atreus will be looking away, right? And he will stop himself from from putting a hand on his boy. Mm-hmm. And like you can just feel – it's weird because you can't feel anything, of course, but you can just feel – the heartache that he's going through is he just can't bring himself to do it. So do you think that's because he feels like he doesn't deserve this relationship? Like, you know, he, with all the things that he's done, he doesn't deserve to be in a loving relationship with a, you know, son that appreciates him or something like that. Or what, what do you think is going on? Yeah. He doesn't through his head. It's like, he's afraid of relating to him Mm. or reaching out or showing that type of emotion. Like he's unsure of himself. Okay. And of course, there's the you know what what makes this the game of the year is the the boy jokes, right? <laughs> all that all that is balanced out with you know ten minutes later he's going boy, instructing him to do something. It's it's right. fantastic. It is. How do you feel about the uh, shift in perspective and the the change in combat? Oh yeah, that needed a facelift for sure. Like there's definitely less weapons. The later God of War games were getting really heavy on the weapons. Like the, I actually replayed God of War three not too long ago. He had the, uh, the blades, and the, uh, uh, I can't remember the name of them, but they're those. They're the gauntlets, the lion gauntlets, Nephian lion or something like that. I can't remember. That and sounds he had, good to me. I, he, had, I don't know. he had a third set of blades, and he had a scythe in there somewhere. Like, it was too much, and each of them had their own moves, and I, it, was, it was good enough. It was cool. But this this axe, man, this axe, this is an axe. Like, you can summon it back to your hand like Thor's hammer. Mm-hmm. Um, if You can freeze things with it. You can hold it in place. You can summon it back as enemies are coming at you. Uh, so, I mean, you essentially have... Um, I don't want to spoil things too much, but you only have like three sets of weapons this time, and they're just they're more they're more in depth. I like the combo system a lot better. The axe in and of itself is just like the greatest weapon ever. Uh, 
You can equip things to it that change what it can do. It has different pommels, different runes you can etch into it. They gave the they gave God of War uh, a lot of RPG mechanics to kind of spice things up, like Kratos himself levels up, uh, your gear levels up. You can put things in your gear. Um, it's not it's not too in depth, but it I mean it lasts throughout the game. It'll take you to the end. So, crazy question. Mm. If this game did not have the Leviathan Axe, if it just had the normal uh, chains of chaos, blades of chaos, whatever those weapons are called, um, if it was just, you know, same perspective, same tone, everything else is the same, but he didn't have the axe, do you think this would be game of the year? Uh, Oh, boy. Uh, Hmm. I'm just, not saying that to detract from the rest of the game. I'm just—I <laughs> I think the axe is hard to imagine. The best part the of the entire game, yeah. Because that the, the axe is involved in the puzzles. It's uh, I think it's so much of who he is, which is crazy. Is. Uh, probably, I'm sure they could make something like the the thing that makes the axe so good in reality is how much planning those developers put into not only like the combat, but how the how the axe affects the rest of the world. Thus, you see the puzzles. Uh, the fact that it can return to you. Um, like, the amount of detail they put into that axe is what makes it. And honestly, if they took that out, like, they would just probably, knowing them, and knowing the amount of detail they love to put into this thing, they would they would probably put something in that we would just love just as much. Okay. So I'm going to say yes. Um, so I know you don't want to spoil things. Uh, I feel like, you know, we're, we're far enough into the year that if we, we have some light spoilers, that's fine. But... Are you a fan of the twist at the end um, that involves a certain, you know, character and a certain name? And we'll just leave it at that. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it doesn't make too, like, you gotta, you gotta stress mythology out a little bit to put Kratos' pop center in the middle of it. Sure. Um, so, but like, even, even with stretching Norse mythology that way, I feel like... Uh, Santa Monica paid a lot better respect n- to Norse mythology than they ever did to Greek mythology. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could say that. Um, uh, yeah, I enjoyed. I enjoyed the twist. I also uh, particularly enjoyed his nightmare at the end, where uh, mm-hmm. Thor comes knocking. That that was fantastic. Um, I really don't know how they're going to play out that twist, but they like they have this this machine that can make you travel in between realms. So, like, I feel there's, it's, it could go any number of ways, to be honest. But that, it was, a, it was, it was a pretty good twist. I spent a lot of time with this game. You know, I do the writing, the walkthrough writing stuff as a mm-hmm. hot. This was the first one I did for the year. Nice. So way too much time I've spent with this thing, probably 300 plus hours. Um, <laughs> I really like the uh, – they have that one area, the challenge area, the challenge realm. I forget which realm they put that in. Which one? The, the fiery one or the, like, pestilence one? The uh, pestilence the one that – the bog your... or whatever, yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's definitely a challenge. The fire one mm-hmm. is challenging too because there's uh, – once you beat the normal trials and you beat the game, they unlock the inferno, the extra hard trials. Those are, those are hard. Hmm. Okay, I I never got to those. 
No, they are rough. <laughs> yeah, it gets hard. I never beat the uh, final Valkyrie. Oh, so yeah. I, Valkyries were, like for being an optional boss, those Valkyries were A-plus material too. Yeah. A good little addition to a, like, it's it's a it's kind of open world, but not really like it. Especially in contrasted to like probably Spider Man. I never I haven't played Spider Man, but I imagine that's pretty open. Sure, I I would call um, God of War a connected world, uh, or even like an interconnected world, uh, because there are elements where it's relatively open. Um, but it's never access to everything. Right, and it, it never really feels quite like a sandbox. It just feels like everything is contiguous. Um, and I feel like that's a good feeling. I, I actually really appreciated that. I, I played God of War and enjoyed its open world at a time when I was really tired of open worlds. Uh, so I, I think that actually did a lot of a, a good thing with having that style of world. Yeah. I agree. Sometimes too much can be overwhelming, like uh, those Assassin's Creed games. Oh, yeah. For some reason, I'm liking Odyssey, but those games uh, have terrified me for years. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> All right, well, uh, one of the things that we like to do with our top five lists is a you know, favorite game from before 2018. What is What is your pick for this year? I picked uh, Super Mario Odyssey for the website because I never played that game until, like, the beginning of this year. Um, boy, I'm sure if I went and looked back, I could go pick something more unique or or indie. But, you know, I'll, I'll go with it. I had a fantastic time with Odyssey. Like, I, haven't, I don't play a lot of those uh, Mario platformers at all. Mm-hmm. So like a huge like the last one I played was sixty four, <laughs> so it's been a while. That's quite a jump. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. But that's, uh, a, that's okay. I went from Mario sixty four to Mario Galaxy two, so oh, almost, see, almost almost the same jump. But but yeah, I mean the new like the hat mechanic, oh, just brilliant. Plus, it let them do a whole bunch of unique. Unique things with the uh, the different characters you can possess. Just fantastic. And the platforming is really tight, which is, you know, for those type of games, that's what you need. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, Gregory, thank you so much for sitting down with me and talking about Mario Odyssey and God of War. Uh, hope to have you back on the show as we go into 2019. Absolutely. And hopefully we'll get to see some previews of the next God of War. Hopefully. I mean, it, I don't expect it to be out or anything, but no. can, they could totally give us some uh, some teasers. Plenty of Norse gods to look forward to. <laughs> and more importantly, more Mimir. <laughs> yes. Tell me he isn't the best thing about that game. He is. I, I could actually do with Atreus um, like dying of whatever and disappearing and Mimir just being your sidekick, and I'd be okay with that. Yeah, um, yep. <laughs> Maybe a contrarian opinion, but no, I he's mean, the true I had, sidekick. I had to choose. <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to force me to pick one of them. I am. That's what We're doing hard choices here on the Darkcast today. Yeah, Mimir, all the way. <laughs> Fantastic. All right, man, it was good talking to you, and uh, you have a good one. Yep, you too. Take care. Take care.
Well, that does it for our first Game of the Year 2018 discussion. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. Remember, you can check out more information about the games that we discussed on DarkStation.com, where you can find reviews, previews, and features, including our writer's top five lists that will be going live throughout the month of December. For more information about the podcast, be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter at DarkStation underscore com, find us on Facebook, and email us at podcast at DarkStation.com. For Ed Bobinchek, David Silbert, John Kay, and Gregory Wright, I'm Jonathan Miley. Thanks again, and until next time, have a good one. <laughs>